Thank you so much, um, Pastor Jay, and welcome this evening. I'm so glad that you're here tonight and joining us as we worship the Lord together. And uh, uh, this is the day the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? And God's got a good word for you today. I believe that with all of my heart, and I want to welcome you. If this is your first time back, uh, we're glad to have you tonight. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We're glad to have you at Bethel. We're in the middle of a series of messages in the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it and find 1 Peter. We're in chapter number 2 today. 1 Peter chapter number 2 as we walk through this rich New Testament book written by the Apostle Peter to churches that are scattered within Asia Minor. And uh, he's writing in to, uh, to them, encouraging them. They're uh, suffering and going through persecution and hardship and difficulty. He's anticipating even more exaggerated hardship that they would go through. And he's giving them instruction. How do I live godly in a foreign world? This isn't my final home. But in this world of difficulty and ungodliness and stress and persecution and hardship, how do I live a godly life in this foreign world that I live in here on earth during these days? And so today, I want to, uh, Peter deals with in chapter number two, how to, um, about the desire and the development of us as believers. So if you look with me to chapter number two, beginning with verse number one, therefore putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Amen. The outline for tonight's sermon you can find on our app under resources and the sermon, and uh, you'll find, uh, you can find the outline and follow along and the uh, takeaway questions that we'll deal with. That should help you in your community as group as well, and you can follow along. So t I want us to look at uh, this great passage of Scripture and talk about our, our desire and our development and our maturity as believers. If we're going to stand strong in a foreign world and live a godly life, then we've got to grow and mature in our faith. From the beginning of life, it seems like in our country, we're always measuring everything about growth or development. I remember when the children were born, they had what we called an, an APGAR score. That was the first score when a baby was born about the health of that baby, that newborn baby. When you take that baby to the pediatrician or the doctor, they're checking what percentile of growth that child is. They're checking their length, their weight, their muscle tone, how their eyes track, hearing, mobility, alertness, movement. As they begin to grow and develop and, and uh, walk and those things, they're looking at things about speech and learning and development, growth and language skills. As children grow older, they can't wait to measure themselves up against their siblings or against their parents. I remember looking at my father's shoes as a little boy, and I saw my kids do the same and slip their foot into uh, the parents' shoes to see how much more they've got to grow to fill those shoes. I'll never forget, I was so happy the day I could put my grandmother's shoes on and think I've almost, my feet are almost as big as hers. 
she was four foot 11. And so uh, she didn't have huge feet, but I thought I was really growing up. And so uh, growing and developing, our kids, we had charts about their growth and how they would develop. They develop all kinds of things. When I was in school, it was measuring how fast could you run the 40-yard dash. We won't talk about that. And uh, we talked about weights and weightlifting and how much are you benching, how much are you lifting, how many reps did you get. It was about measuring success, measuring your development, measuring your growth. How much time do you take in measuring your walk with Christ? How are you developing in Christ-likeness? Are you growing in knowledge of God's Word? Are you living in obedience with God's Word? Are you serving other people? Are you using the gifts that the God, the Holy Spirit has given you? Are you using it in Christ's body? Are you using it in Christ's kingdom? Or are you sitting on the bench? How is your prayer life? Would you be honest with me about that? What has God been saying to you recently in your life? Would you honestly evaluate with me tonight considering this question? Are you spiritually healthy in your life? You see, your Christian life, your spiritual life is not static. You're either progressing or you're regressing. You're either growing or you're shrinking back. Where are you at in your own spiritual life and growth? I'm not talking about how many times you attend a service. I'm talking about your personal walk with Jesus Christ. That is a huge question that every one of us in this room need to think about tonight. So if we look at Peter's uh, chapter 2, verse 1, He's talking about, he says, therefore, in light of your new birth, in light that you are now a child of God, in light that you've been born again, in light of God's Holy Spirit's work in you, making you part of God's chosen people, in light of God's wonderful blessings in your life, then he says, this is what you're to do. Put aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So he says there's some things you need to take off in your life. He uses this by putting aside. It is the language of laying aside, setting aside, casting off, putting away these things. This is very similar language that Paul uses in a couple of, of uh, Paul's letters. In the book of Colossians, chapter number 3, in verse number 8, Colossians, chapter number 3, verse number Eight, listen to what God's Word has to say. Colossians 3, in verse number 8, <clears throat> he says, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self, with evil practices, and put on a new self. So you take off these old polluted garments. These were grave clothes. 
and now put on new garments with your new life. These are grace clothes. Put on the new self that's being renewed in a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created them. So this is your new life in Christ. Paul talks about this in a similar way in the in the book of Romans, chapter number 13, verse number 12, the night's almost gone, the day's at hand. Let's lay aside the deeds of darkness and what put on the armor of light. In verse number 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. He said, don't live like your former matter of life. Amen. So here in Peter, he's saying the same thing. And notice what he says, and put aside all malice. Let's walk through these together, these, these five that are identified. First of all, malice. He said, put away all, all of panta, all of it. Put away malice. It is a general word for evil or wickedness or badness or moral evil in your life. He says, put this away. It covers all of the sins of the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. It's your ill will toward your brothers, toward others. Behaviors that destroy a community. And he says, put those things aside in your life. Things like lying, bearing false witness, coveting, adultery, murder, slander, stealing. These things destroy community. They don't build it. And he says, put all of this aside. It's the things that you do when you desire to injure another person or injure your community, and it's because of a seething anger in you or a revenge in you or just moral depravity that's in you. These things are identified in Paul's description of morally depraved man. In Romans chapter number 1, if you have your Bible, look with me there to Romans chapter number 1. Listen to how Paul describes this. He says in Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse number 29, he says, verse 28, and he says, they did not see to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Their conscience is seared, and their mind is depraved. It's empty. It's, it's decayed. It's, they do not do those things that are proper. Listen to how they behave. This is the lost Gentile world. They're filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. There's the word again. They are gossips, slanderers haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, and the inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice, practice such things are worthy of death, but they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. He said, this is the way depraved people and depraved minds live. So put away all this malice, this kind of evil in your life. 
And then he uses the word all again, and all guile. What is guile? That means deceit. Your translation may say deceit. It means craftiness. Guile is a word that is used of a person who's trying to get the better of somebody else. It's kind of like Jacob was a man filled with guile. His name, Jacob, meant guile. It meant heel snatcher, a cheater, somebody who likes to deceive. He got that from a long lineage on his mother's side, by the way. Rebecca was the same way, filled with guile in trying to help him and connive with him in stealing a blessing from, for, from the older brother. Uncle Laban was the same way when Jacob learned his lesson when he went to live with Uncle Laban for a while, and he was trying to get uh, a wife. And so he fell madly in love with Rachel, and Uncle Laban said, yes, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. Work it seven years for me. And at the end of seven years, he woke up the next morning, and guess who was the new wife he had? Leah. That's a man of guile. He said ten times he changed his wages without talking to him. It was a family of dysfunction and guile and selfishness. It really means the word two-faced, so to speak. It means you have two agendas. The public agenda, but then your real agenda, which is for your own personal gain. Don't let guile and deceit be a part of you. Then he uses a similar word, which is the word hypocrisy. And that means to act in pretense, counterfeit acts. It is, you act a certain way just to throw your victim off, but you're not really being real. You see, you conceal your real motives. And so it means the idea of wearing a mask. Some of you are struggling with this mask thing. Evangelist, Bible teacher, and pastor Paul Washer, a very popular preacher, said, I don't know why Baptists are so upset about wearing masks to church. Baptists have been wearing masks at church for years. I think the mask that God cares about is not the covering over your face. It's what's in your heart. I'll tell you how seriously God takes it. In the early church, he taught a lesson to the early church. Ananias and Sapphira, you're familiar with him, aren't you? Barnabas sold a piece of property, and after he sold the property, he came and laid the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. In chapter number 5, it says Ananias and Sapphira owned a piece of property and they sold it for a certain price. They agreed together about it. And then they pretended and came and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet just like Barnabas did. And they're pretending that they were giving all of the, prof- all of the proceeds of the sale of their property to God. But they were truly lying about it. They were only giving a percentage of that property, of that income to the, ch- to the church. But acting like they were giving it all to the Lord. And Peter called them out about that. And he says, why in the world, Ananias, are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Because while it was yours, wasn't it yours to do with what you wanted to? And after you sold it, wasn't it all under your control? But you came in here lying to the Holy Spirit and pretending that you were giving it all when you weren't. You have connived and conspired and you've lied against God's Spirit. 
And I'm telling you, and I, this is going to bring death into your life. Immediately, he falls over dead. And it says the youth carried him out and buried him. Young men. What a youth ministry, Drew. Three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, comes back after going to the mall. She came back, and uh, she had been gone for three hours. Peter said, did you sell this property for a certain, certain piece? Uh, play? And she said, yeah, that's right. And he said, then you have agreed to lie with your husband about this. And, oh, by the way, the youth just arrived from burying your husband, and you're going to be buried next to him now. She falls dead immediately, and they buried her. It says the whole church was filled with awe and fear of God. Don't you think you would be, too? He takes this pretense seriously. Our love for God and for one another should be unfeigned, undefiled, and pure in verse 22 of chapter 1. The other word that he uses here is envy. Envy here is the feelings of displeasure produced by hearing of the promotion or the prosperity of others. When you hear somebody else has been promoted or prosperous, rather than rejoicing, there's a feeling of envy inside of you. You see, envy is a running mate with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is claiming to have good that we lack, while envy is seeking to defame real goodness in others. He says, it's a moral cancer, envy is. Envy is cancer to your soul. The other word that he uses here is the word slander. Listen close. This word slander means to run down, to disparage another person. To slander someone assaults the character of another person, and it usually is done behind their back. It's a whisper campaign. It's casting a shadow on another person or their motives. In this world of politics, the world is filled with slander against character and against persons. This should not be in the people of God. Oh, sometimes we veil it. And we say, well, you know, I don't want to talk, but you, I'm just going to tell you this so you can pray. And then we slander someone else. It's the fruit of envy when we slander. Three things I want us to consider. Don't live the life you used to live. Don't act like you used to. That's what he's saying. Put it aside. Secondly, don't relate to others as you used to relate to them. Relate differently. Don't live like the world does. And see, don't talk like you used to talk. Let your language be different. Put on these new clothes, and not the old, stinky garments. Years and years ago, Christy and I lived in a parsonage in the northern part of Illinois where we were pastoring a church plant. And uh, uh, the kids were all really little, and, uh, uh, 
and uh, one day I walked out of the back door, and there was a window well that was right by the back porch stoop. And as I walked out the door, I saw a cat, and it was down in the window well, and I thought, that's unusual. And I looked at that cat, and I thought, why is that cat down in the window well of this house? And then I thought, oh, that cat must be sick. That cat was very unusual. It had a white stripe right down its back. And so uh, I decided that that cat needed some help being lifted out of that window well. So I realized, now, this is a skunk. This is dangerous. So I got a board, and I put down in the window well, and I thought maybe he'll climb up the board. But he was too sick. It wouldn't get out. And in my impatience, I decided to leverage him out. Long story short, before the chore was done. I had the smell of skunk all over me, all over the house, everywhere. Those clothes were, I can still smell it in my nostrils, the stench and the burn of that inside of me. Those clothes were ruined. You're not coming into Miss House like that. I stripped off and took a bath and the whole house smelled like skunk. It was ridiculous. Put off. This is what is ridiculous. We've been born again. We've been washed clean. We've been made his children. And we're putting on the old garments of the way we used to live. It's not right. And it's not what God has called us to. Amen. We are to put on new clothes. The garments of grace. And the way we do this is we consider ourselves dead. We reckon that we are dead. We have been crucified with Christ. And the life we live in the flesh is no longer by the flesh, but by the power of the Son of God who lives within us. It's a new life. So we set our mind on things that are above and not living for the flesh. So we need to take off. The second thing we need to do is take in. We need to take in and long for spiritual nourishment. You say, Pastor Tim, how can I do this? Listen to what Peter says in verse number two. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow and respect the salvation. He says crave, long for spiritual nourishment in your life. In Deuteronomy chapter number eight, verse three, Moses reminds the children of Israel, God humbled you, and he let you, be hungry. he let you be hungry in the wilderness. And when you were hungry, he says, he, let, he says, in the wilderness, and you had no resources of your own. Now listen. He says, he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers, your fathers did not know, meaning... They'd never seen anything like manna before. By the way, the word manna means what is it? It was this wafer-like thing that was on the ground that they were to pick up. He says, so that you might understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your spiritual life comes from God's revealed word to you. 
It is the revealed Word of God that becomes spiritual nourishment to your soul. Psalm 119, verse 103 says, How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Amen. In chapter number 1, verse number 23, he says, You've been born again of seed, which is... Uh, of, you've been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God caused you to be born again. In chapter number 1 earlier, it says you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. It is the elective will of purpose of God that God in His providence called you to Himself, awakened you to Christ Jesus, caused you to be born from above, born again, and born by an imperishable seed, which is the Word of God. Notice, but through the living and abiding Word of God. He says, the Word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you in verse number 25. Thinking about God's Word powerfully causing you to be born again, then he says, the very thing that caused you to be born is the very thing that you need to crave and desire in your spiritual life. And that's the Word of God. It's nourishment. It's milk for you. I so loved having grandbabies near us. For so long, all of our grandbabies were far away. And uh, Aaron and Bradley... Uh, when having Charlotte a, a couple years ago, and now a new baby in their family and our family, Jolene. And they call her Jojo, and she is so sweet. I love when they let me hold her for a minute. And I try to hold her and rock her and, you know, let her listen to little coos and smell her baby skin and hair and, and, Touch her soft little skin. And, and so, but when she becomes restless, she can lift up that little head already. Just a month old, lift that head, moving around, nuzzling in. She's looking for something that I can't give her. And only her mother can give her. And that is nourishment. Now, she doesn't want... Doritos? She doesn't want chocolate chip cookies. She doesn't even want Oreos. Something wrong with this child. What she longs for is the thing that she needs. And she's tasted it. And it's good. And she longs for mama and her milk. And it nourishes her and strengthens her and helps her to grow and develop. This is, a, this is a hunger and this is an appetite and this is a desire that the Holy Spirit of God has put in every born-again believer for the Word of God because it nourishes you. It strengthens you. It helps you to grow and develop. 
It helps you to know His will. It helps you to live like a child of God that you've called to be. My question to you is how much time do you spend in God's Word every day? Maybe I should ask every week. How much, how many minutes do you spend, honest, if you're just really honest, How many minutes do you spend in God's Word every week? You say, Pastor, how do I... I'm asking, do you read the Bible? And what is your Bible reading plan? There's no excuse not to. How are you interacting with the Word of God? How is God speaking to you? I have people talking to me about, well, I just feel like God wants me to do this. You feel like? You feel? If you want to live in alignment with the Word of God, in the will of God, you need to get your life in alignment with the Word of God, which is the revealed will of God for you. I had someone recently say, well, yeah, I've just been thinking about leaving my wife and leaving my family and Maybe going off with some other person. I'm just praying about whether or not that's the right thing to do. Obviously, you're not reading your Bible. You need to study your Bible. You need to read your Bible. You need to memorize your Bible. You say, Pastor, I can't memorize anything. I bet you can. Does anybody know this verse? For God so... Say it with me. I'm grading you. How many of y'all know that passage of Scripture? Every one of you need to be able to memorize passages of Scripture. You need to memorize the Beatitudes. You can do it this week. You need to memorize Psalm 23. All of you need to know it. You need to memorize Psalm 1. All of you should have Psalm 1 to memory. All of you should have the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer. I'd recommend that you memorize the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You can do it. I think you ought to memorize the plan of salvation. I think you need to memorize Scripture. This is an important part of your life. Memorize his word. Not only memorize his word, meditate upon it. Apply it in your life. Obey it. One other thing I want to say to you, every person in this room, every one of us as believers, need to be studying God's word, reading God's word in community with each other. Wasn't very. Would you all agree with me? Yes. We need to be in the Word together. It's important. It's the pure milk of His Word, unadulterated milk of His Word. Listen, there's adulterated milk. That's false teachers, and they abound. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. They, they, they feed you all kinds of food, but it's, it's, it's got additives to it. It's not healthy. 
It's junk food is what it is. But false prophets are among those people also. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Listen, they're false teachers. Take in the pure milk of the word. There's so many people being led astray by false doctrine because they don't know the real, unadulterated Word of God. When you know the truth, it guards you from error. Amen? Take in the living Word of God. Not only the revealed Word, but it should be the living and abiding Word of God in you. In John's Gospel, chapter number 6, John's Gospel, chapter number 6, verse number 32, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This is God's word for you. Verse number 48 says, I am the bread of life. Your father ate man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Amen. In verse number 54 the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. And you need to be taking Him into your life. He dwells in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. That's why we meet with the people of God, around the Word of God. And we are worshiping in the Spirit of God. And God's Spirit is speaking into our life that we commune with Jesus Christ. We need to take Him into your life. Number three, grow up. So we need to take off, we need to take in, we need to grow up. Discipline yourself toward maturity in your life. Listen to how Peter says this. He says, he says that you may grow in respect to salvation. In 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse 18, it says, But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number one, grow in grace. Are you growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus? Are you maturing in your faith? Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, 
Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Are you growing in your maturity? How do you grow in grace? That's a good question. How do you grow in grace? Listen close. It's a deepening understanding that, uh, that our relationship with Jesus is a grace relationship, not a works relationship. Amen? And see, he loves you. Did you know that? The Lord Jesus loves you. Did you know that he is in you? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did you know the Lord Jesus with you? Did you know the Lord Jesus is right here tonight? He said, we're two or three gathered in his name, that he's there in our midst. Do you all believe Jesus is here tonight? He is. That ought to make you attuned and alert to what he has to say. Did you know he's forgiven you of all of your sin? Taken them out of the way and nailed them to the cross, forgiven forever. Did you know that? Did you know that you, you cannot merit the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ? You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. That's why you need to grow in grace. Because the old way of thinking is that you merit a right relationship. And people have taught you since you're a child that you merit a good relationship. You do the things that they want you to do. And if you don't do it, then they turn on you. They don't like you. They shun you. And so that's the pain that you feel. But grow in grace. Your relationship is not about your merits and you don't earn it. Praise God. Because you didn't choose him. He chose you. He chose you. He elected you. He selected you. He called you. And he caused you to be born again. You can't cause yourself to be born again. He caused you to be born again. You can't raise yourself from the dead. He raised you from the dead. You can't cause yourself to see. He opened your blinded eyes. He died for your sins on a cross. He redeemed you. And you can't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't find him. He found you. Praise God. Grow in grace. Many years ago, there was an evangelism campaign that went around, and it was called I Found It. And people wore little buttons. I found it. And so it was a, a talking point. I found it. And and then people say, what did you find? And then you could say, you could talk to them how you found salvation or Jesus. Well, the truth of the matter is that's bad theology. I didn't find it. He found me. And he came to me. When you grow in grace, then you begin to extend grace. So he says, grow in grace. Understand grace. And as you understand it, you begin to give it and extend it. You give and you start loving people. Not based on how they perform, but you just love them. And you stop competing for position and striving. And you stop all the legalism because you aren't saved by keeping legal rules. And you give grace. And you learn to love people. My question to you is, how well are you extending grace to others? Do you hold on to hurts? Be honest with me. 
Do you bring up the past in your relationships with others? Or in your mind at least? Do you act with jealousy and envy? Do you nurse grudges? Do you? Are you easily offended? Why? Are you easily provoked? Easily to anger? Why? Do you have a secret scorecard in your relationships? Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Do you? Let me ask you it this way. Do other people that are in relationship with you walk around on eggshells all the time? And I submit to you, my friends, we need to grow in grace. Secondly, are you growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Are you growing in, your, your, in respect to salvation and who he is in your knowledge? I'm not talking about head knowledge only. I'm not talking about Bible knowledge only. I'm talking about intimate knowledge with Jesus Christ. Are you obeying him? Are you knowing him? Are you trusting him? Are you loyal to him? Are you subject to him? Are you knowing him? Finally, I'm going to have to skip some passages of Scripture. Enjoy the Lord. Delight yourself in God's kindness. Notice what Peter says. He says, since, if my translation says, I think a better translation is since, since you have tasted, the kindness, the goodness, the grace of the Lord. Have you tasted his kindness and his goodness? Folks, two things. Reflect on his blessings every day. Don't forget them. Don't be short-sighted. If you look with me, not tonight. You can just write this down if you'd like. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 10 to 15. Over and over and over again, the book of Deuteronomy is saying, lest you forget, do not forget. Because when you forget about all that God has done for you and how he's redeemed you, then you begin to live poor, pitiful, sorrowful me. And then you begin to put back on the old garments of slavery and the old garments of the grave and not the new garments of grace. Amen. And then rejoice in God's blessings. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, verse 8. Peter has that in mind when he quotes that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's not a lot to watch on TV. Sometimes we get bored to death trying to find something we might want to watch on TV together at night. Christy doesn't prefer sports unless it's the Cardinals. I don't prefer to watch them if they're losing. So sometimes we're surfing looking for something, and our default network to watch is a food network. 
So we watch cooking and food shows. We watch pitmasters barbecue, diners, dives and drive-ins or whatever the name of it is. I love watching that guy eat and stuff just running all down his chin. I watch watching the cooking shows. You can see the smoke. You can see. They just zoom in. You can see the fat and you can see the meat and you smell the smoke and the barbecue sauce. And We just sit at the TV and drool. Maybe eat popcorn. But the invitation is genuine. On TV, I can't taste it. But the invitation is genuine. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted it? Are you walking with him? He's good. And it's nourishment to your soul. This is what we takeaways real quickly. Number one, are you living differently than you used to live? Number two, what things, this is a good question, what things do you need to discard from the wardrobe of your life? Hmm? Do you need to clean out the closet? Are there some grave clothes in there that need to go? How are you being nourished spiritually? Number four, how would you measure your spiritual growth? Or related to it, how would others measure your spiritual growth? So why don't we let somebody else measure that? and Let them tell you. Here's a good exercise, men. Ask your wife tonight when you come home. Penny, would you say I'm growing in my spiritual life? Let me ask you this question. How would the Lord measure your spiritual growth? I think his measurement's the one that counts. Number five, are you intentionally meditating on God's blessings? And number six, are you rejoicing in the Lord today? Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts and our lives this moment. And I pray that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, may we eat from you. May we put our faith in you. May we find our life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.